I want to welcome you. We're delighted that you're here to worship with us, to pray with us, to, to see God move uh, and see what God wants to do. I want to uh, note that we are going to be having baptisms here at the end of the service, and so my task is to not preach too long. You know, I want to give space for the good work that God wants to do. We've got some living testimonies uh, of the work of God among us today, and we're delighted. And listen, I'm just going to give you a heads up. If you're here today and are not planning to get baptized, but decide by the end of the service that you want to get baptized, we will baptize you. So if God's prompting you in your heart to say, you know what, i got to follow the example of my brothers and sisters up here, we will give you that opportunity. I'm serious when I say that. That would be awesome. We'll baptize a dozen if you want to. Um, so that's happening today. Encountering God, you heard, is happening on May 13th. This, and the thing I love about that is this is not for prayer experts. This is an opportunity, especially if you're like me, you're normal, and say, you know, prayer is not some, something that comes naturally to me, but I'd like to grow. I'd like to learn. I'd like to press in. Uh, we're actually going to be flying up. One of our friends from the College of Prayer, Amy and I have been really blessed by them. Uh, John Mitchell is his name, and uh, he's dynamic. He's going to do a great job uh, bringing some teaching and everything. It's going to be an awesome one day of event on May 13th. I hope a lot of you will come to that. It's going to be right here uh, on that time. Uh, here's the other thing. I mentioned this last week to you, but I'm going to mention it again. Uh, the, uh, we have a family that our church has been caring for. Uh, there's a couple named uh, Nazila and Pardis, and they're from Afghanistan. They're actually a refugee family. There's four kids in the family as well. And I mentioned this need last week that our team that has been doing a lot, a lot of the primary care uh, with them has come to me and said it would make a tremendous difference in their life if they could find a used car. Uh, they'd probably take a new one too, but a used car uh, is the assumption. And we thought in a church our size, there may be a family that has a car that would say, yeah, we actually could actually help provide for that need. And so it's not a thing that we ask normally, but we want to put that need before you. And if the Lord prompts you, please talk to me or talk to Pastor Aiden. Pastor Aiden, are you in close? He's, he's in the booth, so you can't see him super well, but tall, good looking guy. Anyway, uh, talk to me or Aiden or uh, one of our staff members, and uh, we would be happy to help you make that connection. Connection, if that's something that you would feel a prompting uh, that you sense that the Lord would say, yeah, we could actually meet that need. So that's important. Um, all right, we're going to jump in today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Leviticus. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 16 today. I know some of you said Leviticus. I did not expect that for a baptism service. Just hang in there. It's going to be awesome. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 16, and while you turn there, I want you to think about this word for a moment, and maybe even see what comes to your mind when you think about this word, recalibrate. Recalibrate. Some of you are thinking, I need a little recalibration in general in my life. Maybe some of you are thinking, academically, I need to do some recalibrating, I need to change some habits or whatever, but this word recalibrate, what comes to your mind? Uh, one of the things that comes to my mind is we have... Uh, like an exercise machine at our house where I do some sort of elliptical work. Now, I've given you my, my, uh, my secret. You know how I keep this, this svelte, youthful, vigorous uh, appearance. Uh, I use this workout machine pretty frequently. I get on it in different phases, and yet sometimes the machine forgets how to function. And specifically, it has a resistance feature that is sort of run by magnets, and that resistance feature needs to be recalibrated at different times. I know this is true when I get on the machine and it tells me that I'm burning like hundreds and thousands of calories and I'm barely breaking a sweat. 
It's like trying to flatter me, you know, like, oh, look how good you're doing, you know, and I don't, I don't buy it. I know the machine is, is off. Or it's trying to punish me, meaning that I get on the machine, I can barely move the stupid things, and it's like, oh, you're, you're you know, you're, you're not burning any calories at all. So I know something when that happens needs to be recalibrated, and I've gotten fairly adept at, like, taking it apart, making the adjustments that need to be so that low resistance actually feels like low resistance, and a high resistance actually feels like high resistance. That's what comes to my mind when I think about recalibrate. Now today, as we look in Leviticus, I want you to think about where we started last week at the end of Exodus. In Exodus 40, the the tabernacle of God is built, the presence of God has come in, and the people are not able to go into the presence of God. It actually says that Moses could not enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And at this point in God's history, actually what we see, for those of you who are not, have not been with us, we've been actually going through some of these Old Testament books, and right now we're kind of getting into Leviticus, talking about the law of God, which opens the door or answers the question, how does a broken and sinful people approach a holy and omnipotent God? Because what we actually found out last week is that to do that incorrectly was actually fatal. Like to come into the presence of God in an unprepared way is a, is a bad thing, not a good thing. And yet here we are as new covenant believers saying, hey, we want to boldly come into the presence of God. So the law asks the question, how do you approach the holy God? The sacrifice asks the question, how do you get back on track when you blow it? How do you recalibrate? How do you readjust your life to the holiness of God? I want you to see uh, here this idea of coming back to life, that God is revealing his redemptive plan for humanity, but this is a very early portion of it, that he's giving his people the law, and the law is essentially to answer that question. Don't just come into the presence of God. There's a very specific way that you have to do it. You have to be covered. You have to be covered under the blood so that when you come into the holiness of God, you are not uh, consumed to be sinful is to be spiritually dead and to be separated from the source of life. So now God's looking at this, his people and saying, how do they correct when they sin? How do they self-correct? How do they recalibrate in this relationship so that the relationship can be restored? And that's basically what Leviticus is about. How do you approach a holy God and how do you fix it when you screw it up? And when you begin to put those together, what it actually paints is a beautiful picture for us of not only what God had done then, but that what God will do through Christ is an awe-inspiring fulfillment that actually answers all of these questions. So I want you to read in Leviticus 16, we'll just read the first couple of verses together where it says, uh, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, we talked about that last week, who died when they approached the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die for I will appear in the cloud above the atonement cover. The the couple of words that I want to note with you today, uh, first of all, this word atonement is very important. The first point that we're going to talk about is the day of atonement 
The second one we're going to talk about is the old and new, which is appropriate with the song we just sang a little bit ago. Uh, And then the third point we're going to look at today is a tale of two goats, and you'll see where I'm going with that. I shared that with one of the kids before the service, and they were like, I kind of want to know about these goats. I said, well, just pay attention. We'll tell you about about these goats. Um, The Day of Atonement. So the center of the Torah, or the Old Testament books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the center of that Torah is Leviticus. The center of Leviticus is this idea of atonement, and specifically the day of atonement. This is also known as Yom Kippur, for those of you who have Jewish history or Jewish relatives, it's something that would be celebrated still to this day in the Jewish tradition. The day of atonement is explained as a cleansing offering. It is relieving the children of Israel of their sins, and it occurred on the 10th day of the seventh month of the year. So there's all kinds of of sacrifices that are in place as God is unpacking the law to his people. But central to all of this is this day of atonement on the 10th day of the seventh month of the year where they're gonna be, as as a people of God, they're gonna be dealing with their sin. Now, here's the thing that's kinda interesting you have to think about this multi-layered problem of sin. And this is not just an old covenant issue. This is something we've got to think about in our current status or state as well. Um, what do I mean by that? A multi-layered problem of sin. First of all, that sin on its own sort of is a cancer that weighs on our conscience or worse yet, it seems to have the capacity to dull our conscience even to the point that we don't fully recognize what is right and wrong. Um, that's a really bad place to be because it can actually leave us in a state where we are wrong and we don't even know that we're wrong. We're wrong and we think that we're right. And so this, that in and of itself is a bit of a problem, but then also we see that sin is this great separator, that sin separates us from God, sin separates us from one another. I mean, when you have, every one of us has done this, when you have acted selfishly uh, or in a bad way towards somebody else, what happens? They, they step back. The relationship has, has a, a strain on it now because sin is a great separator. It separates us uh, from God. It separates us from one another. And even, you would say, sin kind of separates us from ourself in that we have this ongoing sort of old nature, new nature battle that we're all still working through. We're all still growing through. That's part of that sanctification process. So sin, when I'm harboring it, actually kind of cuts me off even from the new nature that I have in Christ. So sin's a problem, and it's a multi-layered problem. One of the things that we like to think about when we talk about this idea of atonement is, is actually a beautiful phrase of at-one-ment. Atonement, at-one-ment. And when we think of it that way, that there is a change of proximity in the relationship, and there is a relational restoration that God is desiring. There's a coming back together. And you have experienced this on a human level anytime you've had a strain with a relationship and then finally one of you says, I should say, I'm sorry. One of you has to go first. But that that beautiful moment of of forgiveness and the restoration that begins to come. This is a true thing magnified many times over, of course, but in our relationship with God. And he wanted this for his people so that not only were they having these sacrifices and rituals and priestly duties and all that stuff, but now at the Day of Atonement, there is a nationwide or people-wide declaration of the work that is needing to be done to change the proximity and relational restoration. Uh, And this is sort of what it looks like. Um, The high priest is gonna have to go in. His name is Aaron. 
he's going to have to go in and he's going to have to deal with his own stuff. So he's going to have to offer sacrifices before he can even offer stuff on the behalf of the people. And then it actually says they're going to, they're going to take a couple of goats and one of them is going to be sacrificed and one of them is actually going to be set free but representing kind of the sin of the people on the head of that goat. And so this is kind of what this looks like. Leviticus 16, uh, read with me in verse 6. I'm going to paraphrase some of this uh, in 16 as well. Uh, so Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin and to make atonement for himself and for his household. Then he is to take the two goats that present them and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, the one, the lot, uh, for one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat uh, whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So we're gonna, I'm gonna focus in on that here in a couple of minutes, but bear with me because I think we need to do a little bit of like preliminary work to understand this well. Um, first of all, the entire old covenant system is seen by many to be either kind of brutal, bloody, angry, or just simply irrelevant. And today, I actually wanna take a couple moments and ask this question with you when we talk about the old and the new. We've already talked about the Day of Atonement, but I wanna talk about this idea of the old and the new. Specifically, how should we apply the Old Testament law for new covenant believers? And that's actually a really relevant question. There are churches that split over that kind of thing because one person says, look, if it's in God's word, that means it's his eternal word and we need to be doing what's in his word and so we're gonna be people of the word and somebody else says, yeah, but that's old covenant and so we don't do that anymore. And sometimes a lot of us find ourselves just simply confused and saying, I'm not really sure what to do with this. Um, so I wanna actually just give you a couple things today picking up on some stuff we talked about last week. Uh, the first being that we are not bound by Old Testament law. If you are in Christ today, you are not bound by Old Testament law. So we are not studying the book of Leviticus or asking you to read the book of Leviticus so that you can say, I really wanna be a good practice, practitioner of the book of Leviticus. There are entire sections that you would legitimately say, it doesn't apply to you. It doesn't apply to us at this point in history. It doesn't apply to us at this point in redemption history. But we also remember that Jesus said, I didn't come to throw away the law. I actually came to fulfill it. And what we start to see if we can get our minds around something that feels foreign to us is actually something that feels incredibly relevant to us as well. So the first thing, if you just take a note, how do we handle the old and the new? One would be we're not bound by Old Testament law. The second one would be this, that some of the laws of the Old Testament were culturally or historically relevant in ways that are not for us today. So things like this mixing of fabrics that we would say probably none of you has had deep theological stress over the fact that probably you're wearing mixed fabrics right now, many of you, cotton and polyester, whoa, crazy. Um, but that's a real thing. There's the clean and unclean foods. That in and of itself is a fascinating study because we're not really sure why God picked all of the things to be clean and all things. It's like you, you can get theories and you can get different ideas and certainly strong opinions on why it's this way or that way. But the fact of the matter is it's, it's a little bit haphazard in terms of why these things were deemed to be clean and why these things were deemed to be unclean. But that was a law. That was a real thing for God's people. Don't eat unclean food. And here's the list of the things that you should and shouldn't eat. So that was a real thing. Um, 
there were things like uh, ritualistic expressions or prohibitions, and I will give you an example of one. And if you have struggled with this or are tempted to do it, I would be fascinated to have a conversation with you about it. It says very clearly in the Old Testament law of Leviticus not to boil a young goat in its mother's milk. I've got my eye on you. Disobedient people, because I know you're struggling with that right now, somebody. No, you're not. In fact, you would probably read that and say, why is that even in there? That doesn't make any sense to me. And maybe, and, and this is what I want to caution you against, you could become very dismissive very quickly and just say that's so irrelevant, it, matters, it doesn't matter at all. It actually was a fairly relevant thing because in Israel's day, the boiling of a young goat in its mother's milk was a pagan ritual that was done for fertility purposes or whatever. But it was a pagan ritual and God was saying, don't do pagan rituals. You know, so we could still extrapolate from that, certainly the idea of like, don't do pagan rituals, even though I don't think, I didn't talk to anybody in the first service, and nobody confessed it to me anyway, that they were really struggling with the temptation to boil a young goat in his mother's milk. Um, so it can feel, feel sort of irrelevant. Here's the, here's the question that actually, again, it becomes super relevant. Which ones do you pick? So if you are a new covenant believer today, meaning you're under the blood of Christ, you have a commitment to Jesus Christ, you're walking with him, you're a worshiper of him. So what do you do with the Old Testament law? Like, do you just say, well, Jesus fulfilled it, don't worry about any of it? Do you pick and choose some? Do you look at the ones that you like the best? Well, here's a couple things that you would note. That while the Old Covenant, including its forms of law and sacrifices, have been labeled as obsolete, and that is scriptural, that's Hebrews 8.13, there are portions that have been specifically adapted or affirmed by Jesus, by the writers of the New Testament, by New Covenant situation, where we would say, okay, so here's where it actually helps us when we look at something like this. When we talk about Old Covenant law about Sabbath, we understand Jesus didn't say throw Sabbath away. He actually did something very creative. This is in Mark chapter two, where people were criticizing the work that they were doing on the Sabbath or the gathering of grain or whatever with his disciples. And Jesus says this, and it was shocking to the religious people of the day. He said, well, actually, you don't know who the Lord of the Sabbath is, and the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. And people were ticked. You know, because it was like religious observance of Sabbath was deeply ingrained in the people of God. So for this guy to come along and actually say, now what can we extrapolate from that? It's not, well, just throw away your idea of Sabbath. The fact of the matter is, I talk to new covenant people all the time that have no healthy understanding of Sabbath. And you need to have a healthier understanding. Not because the Old Testament law commands it, but because Jesus actually affirmed it. So there's several examples like that, and we're not, each of these could be their own messages, and we, we won't get into real depth of this. But interestingly, in Acts chapter 10, Peter's having this vision of unclean animals that are coming down, and the voice comes and says, get up and kill and eat. And he says, I would never do that. Why would he never do that? Because it's against the old covenant law. And here's the pronouncement that comes, and it's a divine pronouncement. Don't call impure something that God has made clean. And then, here, here's the work that God does. It gets so deep, because just about, Peter's trying to get his mind around this. I've learned all my life not to do this, not to eat these kind of foods. Now, all of a sudden, I'm being told, don't call something impure that God has made clean. And what happens immediately after that? Do you know what happens? Cornelius and that whole story of, like, the gospel is coming to the Gentile people. And Peter has to think about this thing that he's just learned, not to call impure 
something that God has made clean, that God is doing something. He's using this changing of the law to take Peter to a whole new level missionally in understanding what the gospel is going to do. So that is a old covenant sort of issue that we got to deal with. Sexual boundaries and expressions. That shows up all the time in old covenant law. And so I've heard people say, well, it's old covenant and we're not bound by old covenant, so just throw it away. But here's the problem. Sexual boundaries gets reaffirmed in the new covenant. In fact, so Jesus has this way, and this gets even more frustrating because Jesus has this way of taking the things that we sort of understand as the letter of the law, and he says things like this. Well, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. So we can check that box. I'm not committing adultery. And he says, I would tell you, don't have lust in your heart. Because if you have lust in your heart, you're basically committing adultery. You go, well, crap. (laughs) You know? Jesus says things like, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. And we all, sure, yeah, that's a main stable. We don't want to commit murder. Every culture says don't commit murder. Everybody would agree, don't commit murder. And Jesus says, I don't want you to be angry in your heart. Because when you're harboring anger towards someone else, you're basically murdering them. You're committing a sin. So now Jesus is actually taking, and he does this, old covenant and old testament ideas and elevating them, not reducing them. I mean, another example of this, and this is where, again, we just have to get a little better at doing not overly simplistic study. You know, this was fascinating to me when we were going through, um, uh, we were doing a teaching on tithing. And um, here's the fascinating thing. Tithing is an old covenant command. So you could very easily say, well, we don't don't have to do that because we're not under the old covenant. But then what we kind of found as we were looking at various scriptures is, wait a minute, tithing shows up pre-Old Covenant, during the Old Covenant, after the Old Covenant, in the teachings of Jesus, in the writings of the epistles, in the New Testament church, and if anything, it's getting elevated. So instead of just saying, well, it's Old Covenant, so it's wrong, we just say, no, it's Old Covenant, but what else does the Bible say about it? And we find in issues like that that it says quite a bit. Now here's, here's the point of where this is going, and I think this is vital for us. This journey in Leviticus actually moves us out of religious observance and into relational restoration. Out of religious observance and into relational restoration. Here's the bottom line from the time of Leviticus to the time of Christ until now. Religion has never changed a heart. You know, our best efforts to appease God and to follow the law and to do all of those kind of things in the right way have left us lacking. In fact, I would even suggest to you this. Some of us have walked away from the faith or maybe right now you're in a place of wondering if you wanna walk away from the faith because all you were ever given was expectations that you couldn't meet. That's the law. Or a penance that was never finished. And that's the sacrifice. And that sucks the life right out of you. When you are told time and time again, it's all about behavior, it's all about getting the right thing, making me proud, do da 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 da. You gotta please your parents, you gotta please your church, you gotta do all this kind of stuff. So you get all of this kind of behavioral expectation. You're given the law. And then you're given the penance for every time that you mess it up. And what you don't